Welcome to this week's episode of the People Podcast. Are you in human resources, recruiting professionally, or an entrepreneur growing a team? This is the podcast for you. We are going to bring you all of the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to take your workforce to the next level. Implementing the tips and know-how will enable you to create and keep a world-class workforce. Here is your host, Jesse Tinsley. This episode is brought to you by Visage.jobs. Visage combines human and artificial intelligence to source and deliver high-quality candidate profiles to your recruitment teams worldwide within hours. By leveraging Visage for your sourcing, recruitment teams have more time for high-level tasks, ultimately making recruitment more efficient and more human. Check out Visage.jobs. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the People Podcast. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, just to get started, can you give the, the listeners a quick intro to your background? And then we can get started from there. Yeah, so I'm Chris Hurd. I'm the founder of FirstBase. And FirstBase is an all-in-one provisioning platform that lets companies provide the best possible remote working experience at home to their remote teams. And yeah, this, this was something we never really meant to build or we stumbled onto almost by accident. We were building a fintech product. Um, Long story short, 18 months after we started, we came to the realization that our customer acquisition costs were always going to be too high. Um, and almost by mistake, I started mentioning this remote working product to a few friends who were building remote teams, and they were super, super interested. Um, we built that internally for ourselves. We had a bad experience when our CTO came on board. We realized how expensive it was to get remote workers sent up. We realized how time-consuming it was. So we just built this internal tool that let, that let us solve that. And then obviously, fast forward those 18 months and we're um, having those conversations, it transpired that every remote team had the same problems um, that we were facing. They were interested in the product. Yeah, remote work is definitely a fascinating uh, topic. I think we've been collaborating about it on on social media for some time. What what do you think is like some of the biggest like challenges with transitioning to remote work for like traditional companies that have not had a dis- either a remote team or distributed team of sorts? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely two or three major challenges that sort of stand in the way of this transition ho- occurring quickly. Um, and I think the biggest one is really trust. And that really boils down to the question of companies trusting their workers to work as much away from the office as they do in the office. And I think that just boils down to bad middle management's metric for measuring performance only being how much time you spend sitting in a chair. Um, And that's just a terrible thing for measurement. So the first thing that companies need to do is be comfortable that people are going to do their job away from the office. Um, And then the second part is understanding the benefits of remote work and not just replicating all the bad parts of office working remotely. And the best example I've got of that would be synchronous working, where the office is great for sort of synchronous, instantaneous gratification where you've got a problem and you need something solved. You can just walk up to someone and ask them for help. Remote work changes that to more asynchronous working where people have the isolation and focus to do deep work, which means they can be more productive, but they're not as easily accessible, which is obviously a big change that companies need to deal with. That totally makes sense. What are you guys doing to like at first base to help with that experience? Like walk, walk me through that. What does that look like? I think we take an approach that says there's a lot of smart people working on solutions to those things. And we're really focusing on the different or on the missing half of remote work. So 
we would say that there's been a lot of tools that were super necessary to enable the rise of remote working. So communication tools, documentation tools, collaboration tools. So Slack, Zoom, Notion, G Suite, those types of tools. We're very much building for the other half of remote work, which is the human experience. It's the culture. It's how can we help the people be safer, more comfortable, more productive at home than they would be in an office? How can we empower people with the right tools to do their best work remotely and, and really do better work than they've ever done before, whether that's in an office or in other remote environments? Yeah, that's great. And I think we've seen a lot of this uh at least from my perspective, where a lot of companies are now basically setting up their executive teams, sales and marketing, like in a huge tech hub, like the Silicon Valley or New York. Yeah. And then the rest of their team, the product team uh, is remote or distributed. Yeah. So I, and I think that's a pattern we've seen in a lot of other places. I think, I think you're right. There's certain jobs that definitely lend themselves to being remote better than others, whether that's, Customer success, I think that's one we're starting to see at scale transition into remote. Um, you see a lot of developers and technical people who are able to operate remotely. And yeah, I think there's there's probably certain job profiles that relate really well to remote work. And there's other things where they need that instantaneous availability and able to in order to be as productive as possible. And I would argue that those roles can still be done remotely usually better than they can be done from an office. It's just people aren't comfortable with that yet. Yeah. I wonder how much of like transitioning to like you're kind of alluding to that not all jobs can necessarily be made to be remotely. Right. I'm curious how long that transition is going to take in the next, just like from a, a thought, like, yeah, just thinking about it, like how long it's going to take before you can have sales entirely remote sales team or your exec team is completely distributed. I know some companies do like, you know, uh, Basecamp and some other uh, notable companies, but it seems like it's more of a minority at this point. It absolutely is. There's there's clearly some awesome companies doing it incredibly well. The Basecamp guys have been doing it for, yeah, well over a decade at this point. You look at Zapier and GitLab and Hotjar and places like that, and, and, and you, you just look at the experience that their workers are having and how much they love working that way. So, I, th I think there's definitely a transition that needs to occur. Um, I think the rise in remote working, the inflection points really already happened in many ways. You look at it, the rise from like 7 million people full-time from home across the EU and the US in 2005. It's 20 million people today. It's going to be 40 million people by 2030. So that that's just full-time remote workers. And then you start to say, okay, but how many people are going to work remotely part of the time? So I think that's probably the first transition that happens is that people are comfortable working from home two days a week, and then it becomes three days a week, and then it becomes four days a week. And then eventually it's we're meeting up once every quarter to just have that human connection and yeah, just maintain that that human contact and that, that ability to work together in person. That kind of leads me to my next question. What have you found or heard about that really helps maintain a strong culture with a remote team? Something that we think about a lot because... My company, Job Mobs, is distributed three different offices and multiple locations of people. So I'm curious what, what you've seen to be really successful in like helping build that that culture, even when you're not face to face on a daily basis. Yeah, and, and I think actually that speaks to one of the key challenges where if you've got a blended workforce or a distributed workforce who operate um, synchronously in the same office. That can often often be way harder than than companies that are fully distributed because 
everyone's working from the same basis. I think it's it can sometimes be the case that like um, the office doesn't trust the remote workers and the remote workers don't trust the office. And it becomes this like political thing where it's really difficult to work together. So I think it's hard for me to speak to how blended teams overcome it, but I can certainly talk to my own experience where we are a remote team that is fully distributed. So we've got some people in Glasgow, we've got someone outside London. And yeah, just the way that we overcome it is to stay in close contact during the day. We we always put video up if we're on video calls. We tend to call if there's a, a longer, deeper discussion to be have rather than having over an instant messenger. And then always be sure to meet up at least once a quarter. And I think in the conversations I've had with companies that are operating in that way, it's amazing how much that they speak to the experience of people being better than it would be for, for people that are working together every day. I think when you're working together with people every day in the office, you can sometimes take it for granted that you're going to see them. And then you just slip into this like inane level of conversation where people don't really care about one another. I mean, you come in, you're like, yeah, how was the weekend? What did you do last night? And it's it's not really um, deeply personal in the way that meeting up once every quarter and really being able to catch up with those people. So yeah, that's definitely something we've seen and something we've heard anecdotally from other places as well. Yeah, totally. People are just, go, sounds like just going through the motions, right? On a 100%. day-to-day basis. Yeah, try to get through the week, get to Friday. And maybe that's a whole other topic to talk about, but empirically as a society, but interesting. I think, um, what's some of the, like the, the challenges of like, of really building, like implementing that culture, even if you're meeting up just once a month or even yeah, once a month at once a quarter, what are some things that you guys, that you found to be successful doing? I know that like we, we try to do like team events and spend a whole day or half day going to get food and then have different activities set up. And that usually works really well for us when we meet up once a quarter, usually it's about that that timing but curious what you see companies do that are uh, obviously without naming them the customers or things that you guys do yeah um i, I think it's a great question uh, and I, I think what we see is that people are typically meeting up to just cultivate that human connection rather than necessarily focusing on getting work done so they just see that opportunity to meet up in person as a chance to just get to know their teammates rather than doing work so they get the opportunity to build up um, trust in those people, even though they're just doing things that are more task-based or, yeah, just like you say, they, they go and they eat dinner, they do things together rather than doing work. And I think for us, there's there's a few things that we've tried to do to try and help with that. So we typically try to document as much as possible. We try and get people to share more of themselves when they're talking to their teammates. And we try and get everyone to really create like an internal profile that records what they're like. So when you do meet up, it feels like you know that person. So not quite like a LinkedIn profile, but more of a like personal snapshot of what that person's likes and dislikes are, what their favorite films are. How can we really cultivate that 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 human connection piece where you feel like you know your teammates, even if you're not spending time with them every day? Yeah, I think one of the, the fascinating things that we, we found uh, only meeting up every two to three months was that a lot of our team members, even though they were remote, had met up much more frequently than that. So they were doing like either one or two or three or four people. They would just get together every month or every two weeks on their own and have lunch right. or go out to do a team event or went do something on some event on the, the weekend or whatever. Not Obviously not like company sanctioned, but just meet up and kind of get together on their own. So it's kind of interesting takeaway from when we went distributed 
So um, I'm assuming that's more Im- like empirical. Like there's probably more uh, more to it than just our company, right? But I'd assume that for sure are having that same kind of experience, which I think is really interesting. Kind of interesting question I have for you, Chris. Uh, what would like you be your biggest selling point to me if I'm I'm leading a company, a large organization, and we've been traditionally like in an office nine to five? What yeah. is like your biggest selling points to me as a CEO to why we should go remote or at least consider opening a remote team or distributed team? Yeah, and, and I think there's this is certainly a conversation we have with a lot of different people. And there's three key different opportunities that we see companies transitioning to remote for. So the first one is access to talent. If you're working in an office, you can typically hire the best person that you can afford in a 30-mile radius of where your office is located. Once you go remote, you can hire the best person on the planet. So that's a key thing. And and for that, you need to think that average talent level of remote teams is going to exponentially increase comparison to um, office-first competitors. Um, the second thing that we can do specifically is um, help you be far more cost-efficient. So rather than you having to capitalize the cost of getting a remote worker set up, we let you basically do that as an operational cost and let you spread that over three years. Um, and then the fourth part is real estate cost. I think every, you, you, everywhere you look right now, you look at companies in San Francisco and New York and London, the real estate cost has just became so ridiculous that it's led to a situation where all offices are these like distraction factory, adult kids club, which are entirely open plan where it's super difficult to get any work done. And obviously where you're a knowledge worker and you need to focus and you need the isolation to do deep work, um, offices are actually the worst place to do that work. And you go back 70 years, the office used to be the optimum workspace to do work. And, and for me, that's really what remote work does. It returns knowledge workers back to the optimum place to do remote work. And for us, um, we let those companies develop a remote working strategy at the touch of a button. So it can be super difficult to get a remote worker set up at home, get, ensure they have a great experience, ensure they're as safe and comfortable at home as they would be in an office. We really just let them do that at the touch of a button, which is, yeah, super power for, for these types of organizations. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's one of the biggest uh, challenges is either employee costs, especially for like like product hiring or super niche roles, engineering. There's not enough talent to go around in Silicon Valley. So I, I think... A lot of major metropolitan hubs, Seattle, New York, I'm sure London. But it, yeah, like you're saying, there's much, you can cast the net much, much wider if you're willing to hire remotely, uh, even if it's in your same like time zone. It's much greater than 30 miles within San Francisco, which is going to limit your your potential like candidate pool to 10,000 people, maybe, maybe 20,000 at most. So I totally agree. It's obviously going to save a ton of money. I think one of the running jokes I have, like in Silicon Valley, of every company I've pretty much ever worked for or consulted with, I think the office environment's either like library quiet or completely chaos. And both are like not <laughs> necessarily the best. Uh, <laughs> it's like one extreme or the other. Right. And we have this like running joke that says the modern office is actually noise canceling headphones. <laughs> Totally. Which is true, yeah. right? You you ever go to these offices and it's it's exactly what you say. If it's if it's library quiet, everyone's sitting with those Bose or, or the new Apple AirPods. So they they've all got noise cancelling headphones, and it's the only way anyone can get any work done. And it's ridiculous because 
people are paying for these expensive office places where people are literally traveling for an hour a day each way, wasting 25 days of their life, by the way, um, to go to a destination to work on a piece of kit that's designed to be used anywhere on the planet. Like, how insane is that? Like, it blows my mind every time I see it. Totally. Basically, I read a poll on Twitter. I'm curious if you ran the same poll since you have a quite a larger following than I do on Twitter. But nonetheless, um, ran a poll uh, over the summer. Basically, asked people if they'd rather make like an extreme amount of money, like five hundred plus thousand in commute, yeah, three or four hours a day, or would they rather be basically paid fairly, which is like over a hundred thousand annually to yeah. work remote? And the answer was overwhelmingly that they'd rather work remotely as long as they're fairly basically it came down to as, as long as they're fairly compensated people would not, they don't care about the 5x or 10x money gain yep. from you. Um, that yeah yeah it's 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 a conversation we have a lot where it's really funny that people like see themselves relating to the number on the bottom line of their pay slip and not after all costs have been deducted so the problem you've got when you live in like san francisco or new york is that your cost of living is incredibly high. Um, and really what you need to optimize for is your disposable income at the end of a month after you've paid for all your expenses. And that's how you're going to have a higher quality of life. So yeah, look, I'm someone that's going to say, look, remote workers are the most talented people on the planet. They're the ones that are being able to dictate this as a term to their employers. Um, so they're obviously going to be well played. Companies that try to use it to scrimp on talent and save money are going to do incredibly badly. So you're right. There has to be a base level of um, compensation. But after that, it's about how much disposable income have I got now that I don't have to live in this city where my, my, my quality of life is actually relatively low, even though I'm, I'm earning an exorbitant salary. Yep, I've, I've seen it, uh, at least even semi-empirically here in the Bay Area. I feel like a lot of people come in for five to eight years, and a lot of my friends have, uh, at least anecdotally, have moved out of state uh, and not work remotely, if they work at all. So, like, yeah, it seems like it, it burns people out pretty quickly with uh, all the, the commuting and uh, high-stress environments that a lot of companies have created inside the office, right, with an office workplace as opposed to remote work. With that said... Chris, anything else uh, you want to go over or anything that I didn't ask be interesting to talk about? Yeah, I, I just think the, the whole thing around remote work, and I, I guess the thing I'm most hopeful about for remote work is that we, don't, we learn the lessons of the modern office. And, and by that, I mean that I, I just sincerely hope companies don't replicate all the bad parts of working in an office remotely, which then detrimentally impacts or destroys all the benefits of working remotely which are the reason that people are doing it. So the flexibility to work when you want, to work to your schedule, being able to drop your kids at school, being able to care for, for sick relatives, being able to fit in an afternoon run if that's the thing that recharges you. And I think to achieve that, we need to embrace and understand the difference between synchronous first and asynchronous first. Offices have been, um, they've, they've evolved from being a place where asynchronous was, was the, the way that everyone worked to being the way that nobody works. And I guess that's developed with technology at the same time where news streams and Twitter feeds are like the thing of the day. And if it never happened three seconds ago, it's not relevant anymore. And I'm just hopeful that we can develop a better way of working, which delivers a far higher quality of life 
than we're currently accepting. And for me, that's the real promise of remote work. And that's why we're we're building what we're building. That's why we were remote in the first place. It was um, cut down on the commute, be around to hear our children laugh for the first time, have more time, um, and really begin to organize work around our life rather than organizing life around our work. Being able to travel and continue to work and just having the flexibility to optimize our life rather than optimizing everything around work. So, yeah, I think if I've got one thing to add about the transition or rise of remote work is just a deep and sincere hope that we embrace all the benefits that it can potentially bring across the next decade. Yeah, that's great. I, I totally agree. I think autonomy is huge, or just being autonomous in your role and, and basically being treated like an adult. And, and not only that, I, <laughs> above all, productivity over micromanagement, right? <laughs> Yeah, but like it's it's ridiculous because I think everyone's had a bad middle manager whose only metric for measuring performance is how how much time you spent sat in that that chair during a week in an office. And actually, I think as we transition to a more output focused metric, that level of autonomy should increase exponentially. And let's hope that's the case, and let's hope that's what happens. Awesome. Chris, it's been great having you on the podcast. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want to learn more about First Base or yourself? Yeah, I think the best way is probably to check out firstbasehq.com. Check me out on Twitter at Chris underscore Heard or shoot me an email at Chris at firstbasehq.com. I'll make sure to drop those in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me on the People Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Jesse. This week's episode has now come to an end, but our content doesn't end here. Head over to jessetinsley.com where you can find more valuable resources to hire and keep the ultimate workforce. That's jessetinsley.com.